It's time for Series 3 of Shooting the Breeze. As we continue our focus on women's basketball, we'll be talking to more of the amazing players in the WNBL, the coaches that inspire them, those people behind the scenes that do so much for the sport, as well as so many more from across the Australian women's basketball landscape and beyond. It's the 42nd WNBL season, the longest-running women's professional league in the country, and this year, 2022, Sydney will stage the FIBA Women's World Cup, featuring the 12 best women's teams on the planet, playing right here on our turf. There's so much to come in this season. Subscribe, like, and review our podcast so we can get more Hoops content to you. We want to welcome on board the Island Pacific Soap Company as our first commercial partner. They make high-quality, all-natural, handcrafted bath soap. Check them out online, and a big shout-out to Paul for all the support. I think that was the biggest thing, was just learning to respect each other, the young and the old, and I think that's where the chemistry on and off the court, but you could see that on the court, it worked really well for us, where we had you know, that experienced, calm minds, you know, being able to do things, break things down, pick things apart. And then you have the freedom, freedom riders, so to speak, with energy, speed, spark. In our episode, Beyond the Arc, we're joined by recently re-signed WNBL veteran Brit Smart, who tells us about her passion for fitness and movement, how it's enabled her career longevity, and how she's transferred that knowledge and experience on and off the court into her coaching business. Britt, who was voted the Caps Players Player, recounts the devastating loss for the team, who weren't able to participate in the playoffs due to scheduling restrictions, along with a view of the club's culture and two-way learning. We also discussed the importance and role of newly appointed UC Caps head coach Kristen Veal, and the WNBL's progress in some areas, real and perceived. Enjoy the pod. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining us today, it's Britt Smart. Britt, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Tell us what you've been up to in the WNBL off-season. I mean, it's only been about two months. So what happened was I got COVID that first week or two. Was oh, no. stuck in Perth and then, you know, came back from Perth. Had about a week of like to recover and get back into things. And then I came down with laryngitis. <laughs> so that I had that for a week and I had to push my trip back home to the States a week later after not having been there for three years. And then I've been at home for the last month. So that's been my two months. When you say home, do you mean Canberra home or America home? The States as in USA. So so are you there right now? No, I just got back a few days ago. Oh, I just got back. Yeah, yeah very good. And remind me, sorry, remind me, which state are you from in the States? I spent most of my time in Ohio. I grew up in Ohio. Yeah, Southwest Ohio. Um, but a lot of my family's in Orlando, Florida. So I usually spend two weeks in Orlando, two weeks in Ohio, just to make sure I fit everybody in. So I usually need a month to make my trip worthwhile, for sure. And I bet a month didn't feel like long enough if you hadn't seen your family for three years. No, it went by really quickly. And that's why I wanted that extra week. But then since I got that laryngitis, which was terrible, I just haven't, I wasn't able to stay as long as I wanted. I think a few more days, um, you know, in Ohio would have been good. I think I had 14 days in Florida and only 10 in Ohio. So if I would have had just those extra days that I had to take off um, would have been really good. Or if I didn't lose a day traveling back to Australia a day or two, or if travel mm. wasn't so long. I would have gotten my 14 days in in Ohio. But, you know, you can't complain. I'm just glad that I was able to see them. And I met a nephew that I'd never met before. And so, you know, he was already one and a half. So I spent a lot of time with him. So that was probably the highlight of my trip is always meeting a new member of the family. That's cool. And the other big news is you've re-signed with the Caps after, you know, a pretty spectacular season. Yeah. I mean, I've had good two good seasons there. Um I've been healthy and strong and playing well. We've made the finals both seasons. And so, you know, I thought, why why not just keep it going? Feel comfortable there, yet still challenged. Um, so it's, there's like quite a good balance there where you feel like you, you're yourself and you can relax and play, but you're also being pushed, you know, to give and do what the team needs and what the coach needs. So I'm excited to play this next upcoming season. Yeah, that atmosphere of the being a UC cap is a pretty unique experience. 
what was it like going from playing for, you know, the likes of Melbourne Boomers and Sydney and then going into UC Caps territory where the fandom is arguably uh, probably next to, say, Townsville, the best fans in the WNBL? You know, that first season I had with the Caps was in the hub. So I totally missed all of that. And I missed playing at the you know home court and the home crowd in front of them. So coming back and playing in front of something like that and just, you know, where we play as well, it kind of has that dome atmosphere and the crowds above you. So it kind of has like a good sound or a good roar, you know, when you do something well or a good boo here and there. So it was just really good to just kind of play in front of people, put on a show, entertain, work hard and feel their support. So, I, yeah, I think that was another reason, you know, to, to go back there was because that support and fan base and the energy that they have for women in sport and women's basketball, you know, is really encouraging and, and nice to see. And you feel like, you know, you're being surrounded and loved and supported by everyone there. How did you find the, the team culture at UC Caps? It seems to like... From the outside, it looks like it's a really, really tight team and you've got a tight culture there. This last season, it really was, but it really had to be. For us to go through you know, a season like that and not be, it would have been really hard. You know, Obviously, with all the COVID stuff, you know, you know, that was you know, really, really tough all the way up to the end of the season, you know, making sure that we're the ones following protocol, we're available for every game. Um, I think we had to cancel one game in the beginning of the season, and then after that, we really made sure that we had our own standards and our own club rules to to follow and abide by to make sure we were available throughout that whole season. Um, unfortunately, you know, it didn't end the way that we wanted. But, you know, going through all that, some of the um, the racial things in the beginning of the season as far as hairdressings and, and things like that and hairstyles, putting up a case for that. You know, obviously our coach wasn't available for us for, you know, five to six weeks or five games and having an assistant come in and, and coach, you know, who did a great job, but, you know, wasn't there too much during the preseason. Um, and then reintroducing our main coach, head coach back in, having to deal with, you know, things like that. And then throughout the season, obviously, some of us missed some gains. And then, you know, the the big, um, I guess, the way this, our season ended at the end of the year was pretty tough as well. So, you know, all those things, we had no choice but to have chemistry off the court. And I just think we just had a really good balance of leaders. We obviously had our most outspoken captain, you know, leading us with Kelsey Griffin and, and leading all of us, you know, verbally and, you know, with her actions. And then the rest of us just kind of followed in suit. Where do we need to pick up the slap? slack? How can we encourage Kelsey? But then also how can we be leaders to the rest of the team and make sure that there's, you know, no hole that was missing or no gap that was there to whether that was an emotional leadership or someone who needs needed to be reached out in a kinder way. And we kind of just all... We had quite a veteran group and we were able to use our leadership and skills and kind of pick up, you know, certain areas when certain dramas or certain, you know, the ups and downs of seasons come. You can't always rely on one person. It's really a team effort to kind of lead and everyone has their strengths to kind of take over and, you know, give what they think that they can give to the team to make it, you know, the best possible group, you know, coming together as people, not just as as teammates on the court. It sounds like it was that you described a myriad of adversities mm -hmm. that your team had to face in one season. I think if a TV writer was looking at that storyline, that sounds like two different seasons or series, you know what I mean? Like that's a lot for one season of WNBL to have to handle. And it sounds like um, anytime you were kind of faced with one of those adversities, you were going back to your like you said, your, the standards that you set for yourselves and the, the leadership group that you'd set for yourselves is a bit of a, almost like a grounding strategy to keep your team on track. And so um, yourself and Kelsey and Kelly and Talia have been playing in the WNBL and been very successful in the WNBL for a long time now. But you've got the likes of Shanice and Jade and Gemma coming up as uh, emerging WNBL stars. So what are some of the lessons from this season with all the adversities that you hope to instill in some of those emerging caps? I mean, you know, it's tough because, yeah, they're at the very beginning and we're all towards the end. So you, you have to remember what it's like to be that young and the innocence of it and just the no fear attitude um, that young players bring, which is awesome. You know, and I think that they've done a great job of that. They just go in no fear and they just do their skill and we want them just to go and bring that spark and bring that energy. Obviously, the older heads you know, you smart, you analyze, you understand the different opportunities that you've passed up or haven't quite got there or haven't whatever to where they just had this, you know, this raw innocence of, 
everything in front of them and they ju- they're just going. So, you know, we're learning from them as well and reminding ourselves of, hey, you know, let's relax and have fun and let's go, you know, and then, you know, obviously they're learning from us that there's a time and a place for things. We talked about when their time will come of, you know, really taking over teams and being leaders and what kind of leader they want to be, the type of leader that they never had, or, you know, what can we do to be the type of leader they would want or what we would have wanted, you know, growing up or even just mimicking the leaders that we've had on our team. I think that was the biggest thing was just learning to respect each other, the young and the old. And I think that's where the chemistry on and off the court, but you could see that on the court, it worked really well for us where we had, you know, that experienced calm minds, you know, being able to do things, break things down, pick things apart. And then you have the freedom, freedom riders, so to speak, with energy, speed, spark, you know, and not having to think, you know, they are smart basketball players, but not having to think too much, just use your instincts. That's what got you here kind of things. So I think we learned as much from them as they did from us. I want to ask, because you've gone over this a couple of times, you mentioned the end of the season. Now, it definitely wasn't the way anybody wanted the WNBL season to finish. I'm curious to understand how did the team react at first to the news, but then also how did you guys get yourselves over it? Because, you know, it like from the outside, it just didn't feel right. No. Well, it didn't feel right to us either. Um, I think we just felt like we were just, I don't know, just like pushed to the side a bit um, that we basically just caught the brunt of maybe just some poor planning and disorganization. You know, like with COVID, you have to almost make up scenarios of what could happen just to be safe and have a plan for those and then follow them to the best of your ability. And I think, um, and, you know, throughout the season, I think we noticed that we we were kind of nervous because those plans weren't in place. We were one of the only teams that we, that really followed protocol and never, it never came to our team where we all got COVID and, you know, we had to cancel games. Like we never had to do that. You know, we had other teams in the league that got it during the season and were able to cancel four or five games, you know, and not get away with it, but there was a plan to make up for that. And so for us, I think it was just hard because we had followed the protocols that our club first gave us because the league didn't have any, then the league put some in later, which in the end hurt us, so to speak, because now this plan that was here, we just happened to get COVID at the wrong time, became unlucky, were the brunt of poor planning. Therefore, our chance was taken from us. That and I feel like we were on such a roll, even though we didn't win that first semi game, you know, two weeks before we had beat Perth by 30 with half our squad. So, you know, there's a reason that the game's basketball is played in a series. You know, I think it's one of the only sports besides baseball, maybe that's played in a series where it's best of three, best of five or best of seven. There's a reason for it, for the speed of the game. There's so many variables. It's a fine technique sport. And so for us, it's like we were on a roll. And I think a lot of people thought we were building a good case for ourselves. So It was really disappointing. I feel like that was the only way they could stop us was to basically just take us out of the competition, you know, by scheduling a game a day after we get out of quarantine and making us go back to Perth where we got it. Games should probably should have never been played in Perth. Unfortunate for Perth that has to come for, you know, play and whatever. But the fact that there wasn't maybe time allowed for it, if we go to Perth, and there is probably plan A, B, C that could have happened. And for that opportunity, especially with a team of veterans, who know you don't come across finals that easily, be taken away. And that's what you work for all season. So it was just, you know, the priorities were out of whack. We were able to cancel in-season games and get away with it. But then the team that worked hard all season to get to the finals, that was taken away. And that just didn't seem that it was appropriate. And then, you know, of course, you always go back to, would that happen male sports or men's sports? I don't know. It's nothing against the men because they work hard and deserve what they get. It just makes you wonder yet again, secondhand, you know, citizens. And so it's just disappointing. And, you know, people lose money over that. You know, you have contracts to where if you play in a finals game, each finals game you play in, you get a bonus or each one you win, you get a bonus. If you win the whole thing, you get bonus. So money was also taken from us. So that doesn't make sense either. We don't make much anyways. So it's not even just the competition part, which is why you originally play and work, you know, blood, sweat, tears. Also your savings, also to pay for something to make a living. And that was also disappointing. It's a big ripple effect when that's such a big, such a big decision is made um, within a short period of time, given the complexity of the context of, of what happened. And especially, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
the team contracted COVID during round one of that three-game semifinal series, like when you were in Perth. So you were there to work. So essentially you got COVID while you were working and you couldn't return for your next shift at work. And so instead you got fired. We got <laughs> Just to fired. be really... We never got compensated for it. For whatever no, no compensation, yeah. There was nothing. It was we lost money and we lost chance at a championship. Yeah, big ripple and effect. We, and we were um, the underdogs. You know, like yeah. that type of thing. Like we were in it. Yeah, it was. It's kind of interesting because we had Christy Collier Hill on a few weeks ago, and one of the things that she mentioned was that there was a concertina effect as we were getting towards the back end of the season because of you know WNBA. There was a point at which the the season had to end by a specific date. It almost felt like everything was kind of like coming up against the caps to be able to get that opportunity to have the extra time to recover and play. I think at least from this, take some of the knowledge out of what's happened and use it for the upcoming season. What can we learn out of this? From your point of view, what can we learn out of this so that something like this doesn't happen in the next season? Because the reality is COVID's not going to be gone by the time the next season comes around. Well, and first of all, you know, I don't have all the answers to that. It's also not my job to. If it was my job to, I would be searching and planning and pre-planning. They had their chance to make sure this didn't happen because we had a hub season before this. This is the second COVID season. It's not the first. I think there would have been a bit more grace for that. Um, And I think, you know, that's the hardest part. We brought up different scenarios that could happen. Okay, that's fine that we're canceling games. But where was the the protocols before the season started? Where was plan A, B, and C? And was there ever a point to make sure that we have more than, what was it, three weeks to have finals? Like, how can we only have three weeks to have finals? Because what if one team does get COVID and have to isolate for one week? Then you need this health and safety protocol return to play. That's that's two weeks already. So you know that you're not going to get finals done in three from the beginning. And so I don't know if the care factor was low or just the pre-planning or they're busy. I'm not saying that they don't care at all and that they didn't try, but I mean, there should be plan A, B, C, because we already had a season as well and concerns throughout the season have been brought to their attention. And so I don't necessarily have all of those answers, but I know would have allowed more than three weeks for the finals because of their own WNBL protocols that didn't come in until halfway through the season, you know, talked about return to play time and quarantine, but didn't allow enough time at the end. So that doesn't make sense to me. So I don't have the answers, but again, I would have been going to every team and thinking about anything I'm missing, anything I'm missing. I'm not sure that intention and resilience was done. It's not that I'm pointing it on one person or it's one person's fault. I just think it was just missed. I think that's what I guess I'm pointing at. So it's not one specific person, you know, so to speak. But yeah, I think that was just an obvious thing was, well, at least have an organized final, even if the season was only 14 games to begin with, because the finals is the most important part, Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, and I felt like I just now we're talking about it and in reflection, even the um, lead up to the season being announced, a few of us were like, when is it starting? Is it going to be a hub? Is it going to be home and away? We didn't know any of those details. I think initially... I was expecting the season to start in November and then I was like, oh, wait, no, it's starting in December. Was that my memory playing tricks on me or did that change? Um, Yeah, and at the same time when we knew that the season was going to start, we still didn't know, is it going to be a hub season? Is it going to be home and away? There were just so many unknowns and question marks. Um, Yeah, you can't get excited for something. Like how do you build the hype as a fan, as a player of like a season's coming, this is when it's going to look like if you don't know you know, what you're getting excited for. Yeah, no question. Like, how do you prep know either? <laughs> yeah. And how do you prep for that as a player as well? Yeah. Because even I saw the quarantine get... for two weeks again. So. Oh, really? Yeah. When I went to Caps, I still had to quarantine for two weeks. I mean, said so that we're waiting for that and found out the call and then left like two or three days later. Oh, actually, I think I remember mm-hmm. seeing that on your Instagram story. I think Bunts, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. Bronte is cork as well. And I was like, what is going on? And um, doing workouts in your backyards and stuff while you're isolating. Yeah, yeah we still had to do oh, that from wherever we were coming from. So, 
you know, we didn't plan that. Like, you know, we all have other jobs. It's not full-time basketball. So you're either playing in the second league or you're coming from WNBA or Europe, or maybe you're going to school or maybe you have a teaching job, you're interstate. And all of a sudden you just have to be willing to stop and then go because you signed the contract. So, you know, you're all, it's just funny just with women's <laughs> sport. It's like, if you don't know how to train or work out yourself, you mm. fall really behind or you're not at your peak or at your potential. So do you think, that with the World Cup coming up and the season starting, you know, after the World Cup, do you think that's going to help get more excitement going for the league? Yeah, I think anytime you're having your best players come back and play on home ground, it's going to help it. I still think there's so much more that could be done around women's basketball, the longest running league here in Australia. I don't, you know, like there's so much more that could be done. There's no question about it. It's just, you know, other priorities just take over or, and I love, you know, AFL and netball and cricket and all that. But on the world stage, Australians are known for basketball and swimming, not anything else. Yeah. On the world stage, you know, you think coming to Australia, wow, one of the top basketball countries, men and women, wow, okay, cool. We're coming here, but it's not even as big as I feel it should be or could be. I think it's definitely still going to enhance it because you're still playing in front of your home crowd and your home people and your, your, your countrymen are coming to watch you play. It's definitely going to help, not hurt. Um, I think there's probably ways to make the promos and marketing even better. Don't ask me how, because I don't know how to do that stuff. <laughs> but that's, I think it could, you know, could be better, but it, I still think it'll definitely help for sure. Yeah. I'm kind of thinking in terms of, you know, we've got the World Cup if we can capitalise on the fact that we've got the World Cup, it's raising the profile, there's going to be TV, there'll be newspaper coverage and so on. If the WNBL, and I know that, you know, Christy was saying that they really want to try and capitalise on this um, to be able to kind of roll from an event like that into promoting the WNBL, that's hopefully going to help to bring the crowds along. But you know, we've also got to be able to have, you know, venue availability. And that was one of the problems that you guys had to face with the caps as well. Oh, yeah, I knew I was missing something else. There's like a couple of other things I was missing about our season. Not Delta even... Goodrum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Double booked with Delta Goodrum. Not even being able to play at your own home court. Well, that's something else you work for all season. And we weren't even going to be able to play on that. Like, it's just unbelievable. And yeah, that would be great to use, you know, to somehow promote WNBL and the league here and look what we have here in the World Cup, you know, and these players come back and play in our league. You know, it's still, we're still so behind the eight ball, even though it's, you know, 40 odd years going about paying to keep your best players on home soil, you know, like still so far behind a lot of other countries. That's why everyone's going somewhere else. That's why they're going to Europe instead of here, you know, because WNBA and WNBL, they don't clash. They're opposite. And I don't know if Christy, did Christy say what the plan was? See, my thing is you have, this is what we want, but what's the plan? What's the plan to promote WNBL during the World Cup? How can we make that overflow into, do they have something going on? Do they have different WNBL events? What's plan one, two, and three okay. each well, week? She didn't, didn't get into those details. She didn't make a secret of the fact that there's a lot of shared resources, people, between BA and the WNBL which obviously has its own sets of issues. So because the World Cup is a global event, it's a FIBA event, BA is going to be looking at that event and providing the, the resources to that event. Now, all things being equal, they should be rolling off that pretty quickly and being able to capitalise on everything that's gone on from that to go into promoting the WNBL. With any luck, it should be a really well-promoted season. I know Christy was also mentioned that one of her big focuses was on, uh, was on broadcast. Yeah. So it's kind of like all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle are there. You've just got to make them all fit. And I think one of the other things from my point of view I think is great to see with the WNBL is you've got Kristen Veal as the head coach, right? So it's great to see that we've got another woman coming into the WNBL as a head coach. Unfortunately, at the moment, I mean, there's still a question mark over Adelaide. At the moment, it's only Cheryl and Veely, and obviously the question mark in Adelaide. Yeah. I mean, obviously we want more women as head coaches and leaders. I mean, in the end, you still want the best person for the job, male or female. I mean, there's, you know, no question about that. Um, but I do think 
there's a lot of, there has been times where we've had good female leaders and coaches who have been overlooked. There's no, there's no question about that. But I, and I do hope that they have that plan or that piece is put together to, you know, make sure that the WNBL is promoted season. I would like the season and the fixture to come out earlier so people can start planning. Like that's huge because, you know, the NBA finals is going on already and they already have their season schedule for next Mm. season already out and tickets, you know, coming out. So I understand we're not the NBA, but, you know, just again, it's a sign for pre-planning. And since, you know, it's hard for me to trust that it'll be a highly promoted season when we didn't learn from the hub season to have a better COVID season. Um, You know, that was probably the hub season was probably more organized than this last season. We kind of just hope for the best going with the flow kind of thing. So, but yeah, I mean, I hope it's promoted and it's exciting to see that. I mean, obviously Cheryl has been the head coach for a while, but it's exciting to see Kristen Beal to be the head coach. You know, she's played, you know, different styles of basketball at the highest level among multiple countries, multiple levels, multiple leagues. And my first season in Australia was her last season in Australia. So we were able to be teammates first. And then the hub season, I was able to um, you know, learn from her even more from an assistant coach and then to have her as a head coach will be a great experience, you know, as well. So I think she's going to have, you know, a really good point of view on just the brand of basketball we want to play, the game and how we can, you know, bring honor to the game and how it should be played as a team. And do you know about her, one of her historic moments in WNBL history of being part of the AIS team that won the championship? Yeah, are they, are they they're the one and only team that's ha- that has won the WBL championship, right? And that has teenagers. Yes, the one and only AIS team that won. Traditionally, the AIS team when they were in the WNBL, well, AIS for listeners is now the COE, and I think mm-hmm. the programs run a little bit differently, but similar intentions. Um, yeah, the only AIS team to have won the WNBL. Usually the AIS team would sit more towards the bottom, which yeah. you would kind of expect being teenagers. But yeah, that that they had the most iconic, historic AIS team of all time. Uh, yeah, and they were the only team that won the championship. And from memory, Veely was one of the people shooting a lot of free throws, making a lot of free throws in the stretch of the game to to seal the win. Mm, see, that's a clutch, calm mind. And that's what I always have gotten from Veely as a teammate and assistant coach. And I'm sure as a head coach is, you know, being calm, don't get ahead of yourselves and just keep playing the game how it's supposed to be played. You know, and then you hope things go your way. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely not surprised. And I think she was at that point when she was drafted in the WNBA. She was also the youngest person to ever been drafted in the WNBA, you know, at that point when she had got drafted. So she definitely knows how to play. And then obviously with her experience coaching COE, you know, for a while and just the fundamentals and even, you know, assisting with the Caps as well you know, for a while. You know, she's been coaching at the WNBA level, even if not as a head coach for a long time. And that's where you learn what you like, what you don't like, what you want to implement, what you don't want to implement. And you start to really discover yourself as a coach and then still being able to be the head coach of COE and, you know, taking the reins there and then playing at a high level. You, you, it's hard to really find a coach that has all of that experience. You know, of course, there's going to be growing pains and his first time head coach. And, you know, you can't set the bar all the way up here, but I won't be surprised if she really, you know, just has a good start to the season. So not even necessarily wins and losses, just you know, building trust with players and playing a good brand of basketball. And the the way that you described her as that really kind of calm coaching, coach and player kind of approach, is that kind of your, do you have a preference of coaching style or like type of coach that you've worked with over the years? Are you, do you prefer a coach who's more calm and constructive or do you sometimes don't mind a coach who's going to kind of rip the players uh, a new one when they need it? <laughs> Um, I'm probably more calm just because I think if you constantly allow yourself to let go of your emotions, to me, that just seems out of control. You're out of control of yourself. You're out of control of your emotions. You're out of control of life. Like it just seems like you don't have a good handle on things, but I really don't mind stern, direct intensity when needed. You know, if your voice does raise and you whatever and you know even if you do you know yell sometimes or whatever you know there is a time and place for that but if it's constant then it's just you know people really turn off or turn their face or that they just tune out because they can't take it again you know some might need a little bit of that or they might need to release it um usually it's at the refs I would say more for coaches more than necessarily just at the players (laughs) Uh, um 
But if you constantly just let yourself go, to me, that just seems, you know, you're not under control and confident in who you are, or your game plan or whatever. But I can see why if referees constantly annoy me or if there's a certain player that just gets on your nerves, you know, a stern intense directly in the eye saying, what are you doing? What did we just talk about? With a little, you know, pain, you know maybe a vein popping on the neck or the forehead. I'm, I'm definitely, that's needed. <laughs> um, and I think usually that does get across, you know, and if it still doesn't get across, you know, that directness or whatever, then there might be times where you do have to kind of just go off for a couple minutes. But that constant behavior, I don't think is really necessary, especially when you're working with adult professional women. I do think you should be able to have a meeting in the heat of a game, even in intense moments, and be able to get your point across without losing it every single possession, at least. Yeah, when you were talking about that, you know, the stern word to the referee and the, the, the vein popping, I just had this image in my head of some of the photos of Cheryl on the sideline <laughs> explaining to the referees mm-hmm. what their mistakes were. <laughs> I think the referees is the definitely the ones that people see the coaches lose it. Every once in a while, a certain time out, a coach might lose it for a little bit, which I don't mind that. As long as you gain control and then you're constructive in the rest of that time out, well, okay, still, let's still not get ahead of ourselves and what's our plan. Um, but, you know, losing it and really, especially with the referees, because you that's not that's out of their control, you know. So I think that's, uh, you know, that's always tough, especially if the referees don't come over and talk to you at some point. If they say, hold on, next dead ball or next time out, I'll explain. I think the referees would be like, okay, thank you. Or they might say, well, you better. But they mean thank you <laughs> in the heat of a moment. I think if that happened more often, coming over and explaining it and understanding that the coach is going to answer heatedly because we're in the midst of a competition. They don't mean it personally on you. It's just it's we're in the middle of something very emotional and high adrenaline. So that their talk is still going to be intense. But, um, yeah, I think if there was more open communication about a discussion going back and forth and even the referee being like, OK, I'll look for that next time. I didn't see that here, but I will. I just wonder what what that could be like, you know, and make like even same to the players, you know, like just saying, oh, yeah, I understand, I understand you're mad. Let's talk about it next dead ball. Yeah. And the player would probably stop right then and be like, OK, even if they say, OK, well, we will bet your butt we will. But that's fine. They're just, <laughs> you know, you're in the middle of you want to win. It's not against you. And then you do make the point to go over and talk to them, I, I think there'll be a lot less um, coaches versus refs or players versus refs and trying to, you know, create the best game possible, having the whole group all on the same page. That's never going to happen. Foster, it's just my... foster, some, foster some good communication yes. instead of butting heads and just yelling at each other and yes. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but do you, do you think, I'm just throwing this out there, do you think that, you know, in terms of the show, having that little bit of tension between the ref and the coaches is kind of part of the the bigger entertainment sort of part of it. Yes. See, I think so. But the thing is they actually stop it with a technical too quickly. It's like they're, they're <laughs> just trying to talk to you. You're so defensive about your call. They just text them or you've teched a player, you know, like if there's yeah. no, if you want more excitement, go over and let's talk it out. It might be heated, but it's not personal, but explain to get it out. Instead of just like, oh, you can have no emotions in the midst of a conference finals game. Boom. Actually, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's interesting you say that because I was watching one of the games. I think it was it from the NBA. Warriors, uh, Warriors. Mavs. Yeah, the Warriors Mavs game. One of the players was getting really heated with the ref, and it was like the ref's kind of like, okay, you know, three, four times in the end, you could see the ref was just you could read his lips saying. I've had enough of this, no more. The player took a couple of steps away and kept talking, but to the rest credit, he didn't pull the tech. Yeah. He's just right. getting that was a show. Yeah. Yeah. But for the viewers, that was a bit of a show. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you don't want it to happen all the time, but where they do get charged up, you're right. The, the ref being able to kind of say, okay, I'm confident in what I've called we can have it out and then there's going to be a point where we're going to say, okay, enough. Yeah. Like it's an intense moment, you know, and like, it's something that you, the games are what we work for. So 
even if we're wrong, but in a player expresses something, it's always going to be animated. It has nothing to do that if they're tr- they're mad at you personally. It's just, but we've planned for this game and it felt like, you know, you're hurting that plan, right or wrong. But having that discussion, I think, is good because then the referee can reflect on, they don't have to admit necessarily yes or right or wrong to be like, I understand what you're saying. I'll look for that next time. I'll be aware for that. Or even say, hey, I got a ball. Like, it really seemed like you didn't get a ball. I saw some arm. You know, I'll make sure I'll keep paying attention. I'll keep watching for your quick hands. I see, you know, like I see that you're trying on defense. Keep getting in position next time. We'll see, what, you know, and I'm sure it will go your way. Like, there's just see, I'm opposite. I'm, I'm opposite with the whole entertainment value of the back and forth with coaches and players and refs. I find it really frustrating. There's particular refs in the, uh, sorry, um, coaches in the NBL in particular, mm. who I just can't stand to watch or listen to because they're on the refs from the get go, like questioning something or making a sound on, and I'm just like, just get on with it. And it goes back to what you said before, Britt, about like when a coach shows too much emotion and uh, gives a kind of reflection of they're losing a bit of that control. I'm like, you're getting too caught up in giving the refs a hard time. Just get on with it, especially as a coach where it's like you want to keep your players focused on the game plan. And then when the players aren't particularly getting the calls going their way either, you've got to say to your players, you've just got to play through it. But then you're on the sideline like carrying on like a banshee. You've got to coach through it too. So I think there's a line, Trevor Gleeson was the one that I used to, could not stand to watch because he was just berating referees. But I think um, sometimes it's a little entertaining when some of the players get a little bit animated. But for me, the, yeah, the whole coach going off thing, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's not for me. I think it's more like if it's a one-off, it's okay. If it's like as soon as the whistle blows, it just goes for the entire game. No, that that's not okay. That's that's just you're just trying to needle the refs to the point where you hope they're just going to give you what you want to shut you up. There's no question about it. Just like in everything, even with a coach blowing up at their players or whatever, there's a time and a place. There's a certain call that you might do that for, or you know, you might give two or three body calls that weren't called, and then say something to the ref you know, saying, hey, we're getting bodied, you know, like whatever. And maybe they'll come over and talk to you or say, hey, next dead ball, we got to talk. We're, you know, my, my players are getting hit every time. You know, there's things like that. Like there's definitely a time and a place because you don't want to have someone carrying on the whole time for sure. But it's kind of like, you know, the, the refs should understand. That, and that, I think that's some of the issue as well. Sometimes here is that we have new referees a lot. And to where, like, when you're in the NBA, they kind of know who you are, or the NBL, they know who you are, they know mm. your temperament. I think that makes it a bit easier to be able to handle, you know, some coaches yeah. and players. So it's always hard when there's constantly rotating new coaches, new players, or new refs. So just for a minute, let's step away from basketball and let's talk about something a little bit different. Now, anybody who's watched a game knows that you are an incredibly fit player. And I know, you know, from your time here in Sydney, it's a passion for you. Fitness and health is a passion. In terms of your success, not only on court, but also off court, how do you find that that's assisted, you know, in your playing career and also in your business ventures? Yeah, I mean, I've always been skilled at basketball because I would play a lot of basketball. My dad was a basketball coach. I was around the game for, for a lot. So I always got lots of reps. You know, so I was a professional basketball player, but I really wasn't a professional athlete. And so I started really caring about what I did off the court. I mean, I always did stuff off the court through college and whatever, but it was not with intention, wasn't with purpose. There wasn't the question why behind it. And then when I became a pro and actually got my pro contract, like a year or two after playing in Belgium, I was really like, okay, for me to keep up and to last, I know the game, I'm smart. I'm intelligent. I have good anticipation. I've played it enough, but I'm, I got to be able to keep up and I have to be able to last. Um, you know, and even if I don't care if I'm good in the first quarter, the first half, it's can I last the whole game and can, can I still produce in the fourth quarter or in the clutch moments and things like that. So caring about what I did off the court has definitely impacted good and bad on the court. And that's just part of a journey being, you know, being a, 
a coach, a basketball coach, and a movement coach off the court. It's been very interesting because when I moved poorly off the court, I was injured on the court. And when I would adjust and reinvent myself and keep learning and whatever, I would be healthy. So it's really been interesting. When I really cared about getting stronger off the court, you know, my career, I, I started to do really well and started competing really well in Sweden and whatever. But then I became injured, like tore my ACL. That gave me a lot of stuff. And then even just these last, I would say like my year in Sydney, I had a really tough year in Sydney because I had an ankle reco. And I was thinking, how could I be this in shape and strong, but yet be hurt for that long? It's like a year and a half where I was injured. And, you know, when you have a 15, 16 year career, that's going to happen. <laughs> you know, you're healthy for a lot and then you're going to go down, you know, and it's how you kind of reinvent yourself. So I knew that I'm missing something. I'm something isn't right. And then you see other, you know, really high athletes. You think we're, we're the strongest and the fastest and the intelligent as a human race. How are these athletes getting injured so much? Because even back in the day when they weren't as strong as fast, they didn't have as many injuries. So what's what's going on here? What about our lifestyle outside of basketball or outside of sport is hindering movement? And so the last two or three years I've been healthy, you know, since coming from the Sydney Flames and coming from Canberra, so I just kept studying about how we were supposed to move as babies, how we used to move, how did it change and why did it change? When ACL or Achilles happens, where's the foot in relation to the ankle, in relation to the knee and the hip? How are we moving? Um, when we don't have ankle or knee injuries, how is that person moving? Then you look at, you know, the the grandmas and grandpas that are, you know, 80, 90, 100 who can still run. Someone can still run. Someone can still move so well. Someone can still sit down on their knees and play with their grandkids. And you think, well, how are they moving? And so it's funny because the grannies, the elite healthy athletes and the babies, they all have this innate pattern that seems to be similar. And the ones that get injured, they're not moving optimally. And so studying that has made me realize, wow, I need to start going back to basics like the baby, these durable patterns, start retracing while Michael Jordan hardly ever got hurt and played so many games or Steve Nash. How does he move? You know, and then my grandma who can still ride a bike. What is she doing? That You know, there's something there. So just different programs of how to reach a potential in sport in a safe, durable pattern, but also be able to play with the grandkids as well. And it's the same. It's the same movement. But of course, you're going to apply it, maybe more intense drills or more intense, um, you know, intentional purpose when you're playing a sport. Doing that the last two or three years has been amazing. And I'm not saying I won't ever get injured again, you know, playing sports and being constantly tired or a contact injury. Or what bothers me the most is just an old pattern of injury that I'm still trying to come back from, you know. So if I ever get injured again, it's going to be something from something old or a contact injury. But, you know, my patterns that I'm doing now just feel so much better and so much younger than I ever thought I would would be able to. Then I'm like, wow. I can't believe I just played this whole season pain-free and I went to extra shootings. I went to extra sessions to where before I would have to do what I could, you know, and, and, you know, get by to where now it was, it was just totally different. And we trained twice a day, sometimes three times. So, you know, we trained a lot at Canberra and I was like, Hey, you know, if I sign this contract, I got to be able to do it. And so everything that I was doing off the court, I was able, you know, to be able to stay on the court. Yeah, I love the distinction at the start when you said when you're a basketball player versus when you're an athlete because, mm-hmm. you know, it's easy to think that uh, if you're a football player, basketball player, tennis player, whatever, a sports person, therefore you're an athlete. But it is a whole – because that becomes your job, then it has to become your whole lifestyle. And to be able to do your job, you have to look after yourself well enough in a certain way to be able to perform well at your job. So I really liked how you made that distinction. And then when you came to that point um, you described around, you know, when you're playing in Europe and stuff and you started to make more of those lifestyle changes to be an athlete and not just a ball player, where did you start? Did you start with nutrition first or movement? Because I follow your – we follow each other on Insta, so shout out. But I really like your stories with uh, the movement patterns and your explanation makes those posts like m- more sense to me now. But you also post a lot about good nutrition as well. Um, so where did you start when you were starting to implement some of these changes for your own uh, athleticism and lifestyle? What did you target first? Um, I started, 
you know, lifting weights way back when, like 12 years ago, I guess, in Belgium. Now I don't lift weights, I move weights. There is a difference. But it's all part of reinventing myself as a basketballer. I've had to reinvent myself as a strength coach as well. But that and I had a personal trainer in Ohio. Um, so during my off seasons in Europe, I would go back and I would you know train with her and she cleaned up my diet massively. And most of it was just, you know, that typical American starchy carbs, what you thought was healthy, even if it's just a bagel. <laughs> but, you know, bagels, like all it is, is just bread, you know, and, and the different types of pasta. Carbs are great. It's more the starchy carbs. So I still eat carbs. There's no question about that. But that kind of started the nutrition I added in probably a year or two after I knew what it meant to work hard off the court and what I needed to do off the court to be strong and athletic on the court. And I was strong and athletic, but my, my movement patterns is slowly shredding away my tissues. You know, and that's the tear of the ACL and then having to, you know, an ankle reco or even just soft tissue stuff. But that's all I knew at the time, you know, and so you, you kind of own up to those mistakes and you still keep studying. So the nutrition, it was basically almost every off season, I would change a little something. Wouldn't change everything because I was going well, I was getting athletic, more stronger. I was able to play. And I would just change something. You can't stay the same, do the same exact thing, you know, because you don't want to plateau. Is there anything I could do a little bit better? Is there anything I could just adjust slightly as far as strength training and nutrition? So I've always kind of just done something a little bit different or a little bit, not extreme, but just something that would challenge me a bit during the off season um, so that I knew, knew that when I stepped on the court, that next pro season, I did everything in my power to be the best athlete possible. And a lot of it was the confidence of knowing that I probably did it more than the people I'm standing next to. So whether they have a better game than me or not, whatever, the point was just reaching my potential, giving me that confidence of knowing that I'll last and that my nutrition and training has, will carry me through. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing professionally and your business. Give and where we can sign up. <laughs> be smart basketball that's my instagram link in the bio or you can just google be smart basketball.com and i basically have strength training or movement training and skill training you can just choose the strength if you want or the movements or you can just choose the basketball if you want or you can choose both that's what my week looks like is the strength skill stretching full range you know um, movements uh, and then on the weekends, I have Saturdays is live smart. So how can you just live smarter? Reach out and connect to someone you haven't talked to in a while. You know, walk in the grass, get get some sun, clean out a drawer, like declutter, you know, like live your life smart because that's going to help your performance, even if your performance is just to play with your kids. And then Sundays, mentorship. So if you are an athlete or even you don't have to be an athlete, but it's probably geared more towards um, athletes and, and basketballers. We just have one minute contemplations where I have a video about um, how you can perform your best. And then you'll give me your feedback on that. So just a little bit of, you know, accountability and, and things like that. So Be Smart Basketball, it's really a holistic program. You know, it does cover your strength and how you should move for durability and power. It goes over jump technique. All basketball is, is jumping. We hardly run in a straight line. So we're talking about jumping, how to jump, when we can jump. So jump shots, one-legged, two-legged. We even practice dunking if we can lower the hoop because that's more fun. It's a funner way to practice dunks and, and jumps. And you don't want to always just practice your jump with your jump shots and you got to go chase the ball. And, you know, so it's kind of fun if you're able to, to do that. So we talk about the movement. We talk about jumping. We talk about basketball skill and footwork. You don't even need a hoop to get better at it. Um, you can get rep after rep after rep and not have to chase your basketball or get discouraged. Oh, I missed it. It's not working. You know, like trust that process. Um, and at the end, we have the daily stretches to so the daily five that are super, super important. That would just relieve so much stiffness. So it ha there's a lot packed in there. And I have a starter level, an elite level, and an MVP level, and then coming out with a pro level just so that I can meet the athlete or the person or the grandparent at their needs. So I usually start them on that. And then I can go in and obviously adjust accordingly. And the personalized part is when you send me your videos and your photos of that exercise. So you don't, I don't even have to be there with you, but as if I were there in person, I give you either voice feedback, circle feedback, type feedback. Hey, you're ready for this. You need to do this. Let's take you, scale you back on this. Let's move you up. You know, everyone, there's a blueprint for everything, even a blueprint on how to play basketball, but then the individualization of your team or your certain player or the combination that you have. And that's where 
having me as your coach and that experience really is worth your your time and your money, so to speak, is having that gone through it all. And I live off of my own program, who I've had mentors and coaches. It's not like I've made up all this stuff either, you know, come together. And now I've just kind of collaborated what works for me. And maybe this can work for you, but let's adjust something that doesn't exactly meet your needs at that time. So that's Be Smart Basketball. It's really everything to how you can be reach your potential. Okay. Now, we always ask a unscripted question, and I'm going to hand it over to Jacinta because no, she's well, got one. No, you can do the unscripted question if no, you no, like, no, this, Paul, but no, I, no, you go for it. This I is... wanted to make sure I asked this question, and I'm sure a lot of UC Caps fans that are also our loyal listeners probably already know the answer, but why Moonball? <laughs> well, you know, the moon's very high in the sky. And for yes. me, as a shooter, not the tallest person out there or the most athletic who can jump and shoot over people, the arc of my ball has got to go to the moon and back for it to go over the top, tall hands or the trees of the inside basketball people. And my moon ball or my three-point shot does have a lot of arc for that reason, especially when people are trying to stop that, yet I'm still shooting them. Mm. They're going to be right in my face. So my trajectory of my shot can't be out. I'll just be shooting right into their hand. So it's got sometimes it goes out of the screen and out of the out of the picture up to the moon and back. I sometimes I used to say rainbow, like rainbow, like rainbow shot, but moonball, it just caught on. I think Slim or Britt Sykes was like, Moonball, after I'd said it a couple times a couple times. So I was, I was, I was like, oh, moonball, whatever. And then she caught on to it. And then it just kept going. And then it was just like, you know, if you just throw it up there to the moon, you've got a good chance, you know, to it makes the circumference of the rim bigger because it has more of a chance of going in, even if it's not, you know, perfect. So <laughs> it was just a bit of fun, but I think it's um it's pretty accurate. I think it describes my shot pretty well. Oh, yeah, especially some of the threes in, I think it was the first semifinal game against oh, Perth, yeah. or maybe it was well, it the game against Perth. It wasn't the second, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or maybe it was the game against Perth where you won by 30, but it was definitely one, especially towards the end of the season where I was yeah. like, the shot went up. We could go and have a drink break, have mm-hmm. a sip, put our drink bottle down, <laughs> shot goes in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, Britt, it's been great having you on. Looking forward to seeing you in action again in the, the upcoming season. You've got, you know, Talia's re-signed, yourself. You've got Vili as, as the new head coach. It's going to be an exciting season and it'll be great to see you back on the court. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me and thanks for letting me speak and giving us a platform to talk and, you know, keep up the good work. We appreciate it. Thanks so much, Britt, and we'll speak to you soon. Thanks, guys. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.